Welcome to the Red Roof Recovery Show. This is a program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. I'm your host, Tanya McIntyre. And this beautiful theme song that we're listening to is from my mentor, my friend, a very talented singer-songwriter by the name of Russell Allen Scott. And it's from his CD called The Master Key, and the track is called Greatest Bravery. And it certainly takes a lot of bravery to talk about addiction recovery. And uh, I myself know that I've, uh, you know, I've, I was a, a closet recovery person for a long, long time because of the stigma that's attached to addiction recovery. So I'm here with you to help remove that stigma, to help open up a dialogue around addiction recovery and share with you my experience, strength, and hope around my own recovery from drugs and alcohol. That happened for me in 2009, February of 2009. And the only model of addiction recovery available to me at the time was a 12-step recovery program known as AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And you'll often hear me say that AA saved my life without question. I don't think I'd be here without it. But SMART gave me my life back. Most people haven't heard about SMART recovery. And I myself, when I went looking for a more secular, evidence-based program, the pickings were slim. There wasn't a lot available. And I gravitated towards smart recovery for a couple of reasons. It was based on cognitive behavioral therapy. And we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. It sounds maybe a little complicated, but it's not really. It's all about thought. Cognition is our thought. So it's about really directing that rational analysis, the questions inward, instead of looking outside of ourselves for answers, because the answers always lie within, we're told, right? So I like that idea of smart recovery based on cognitive behavioral therapy because I was a huge fan of uh, this guy called David Burns. Dr. David Burns is a, a retired Stanford professor now, but he was definitely one of the pioneers of cognitive behavioral therapy back in the 60s when he was start, just starting out his vocation as a doctor. And he wrote this book, Feeling Good, and I think he wrote it probably in the 70s. And it's the new mood therapy, the clinically proven drug-free treatment for depression. And I was attracted to this because I've suffered with anxiety and depression all of my life. In fact, that's probably what developed my addictions. It was that I was trying to self-medicate away those emotions, those unpleasant emotions that um, I just wanted to numb. So I have been a facilitator with SMART since 2018. And we hold regular meetings on Zoom. Of course, the whole world now has moved to the Zoom platform. And you can access those meeting links along with a lot of resources at the local site of smartrecoverytoronto.org. And Smart Recovery, just to tell you a little bit about it, because a lot of people haven't heard from it. SMART is an acronym, first of all. And SMART Recovery, when, when you know about SMART for a while, you'll know that we love acronyms. And SMART is an acronym that stands for Self-Management and Recovery Training. And SMART is a volunteer-driven organization. It was incorporated in 1994. And it was incorporated in a place called Mentor, Ohio. So when I was looking for an alternative for people to start doing meetings in my community, that would be a little more inclusive for people. When I saw Mentor Ohio, it immediately resonated with me because mentorship has been a very essential component in my recovery journey. Uh, what I loved about AA was the peer support available there. And I still love going to AA meetings. Whenever we get back to face-to-face -to -face meetings, I have my favorite meetings. 
and my favorite people. They are lifetime friends. And the peer support is unparalleled in any recovery program that I have um, experienced for sure. Smart Recovery is working on it, but Smart Recovery is all about self-management, right? That we are here to meet you where you are and help you get to where you want to go. But it is a self-management program. And it's also an abstinence-oriented program. However, having said that, we also, like I said, we want to meet you where you are and help you get to where you want to go. So we definitely support um, things like medically-assisted treatment for uh, not only treating addiction, but other psychiatric conditions as well. So we have a couple of handbooks available. One is for the uh, participant in Smart Recovery. It's a handbook that contains the tools of therapy that are commonly used in Smart Recovery. So SMART is based on uh, the four pillars of recovery, we call it. And the first one, like any step program, it's the most difficult one to get to. So the one pillar, the number one pillar of SMART Recovery is developing and maintaining our motivation to abstain. That's a tough one because if you were anything like me, I didn't accept or admit that I had a problem for two decades of my life because I was one of the lucky ones. I was able to manage my addictions. However, I did it. I'm not even sure. But they were spiraling out of control by the time I had to face it. And I think that's what happens, right? It's an accumulative effect because I think what we practice grows stronger, good and bad. So my addictions caught up with me after about 20 years of uh, active using, and I was still able to maintain a profession. Uh, I never lost a house, never lost children, although I never had the courage to be a parent. I think it's one of the most difficult jobs in the world, and I definitely never felt up to that task, uh, probably because my mother should never have been a parent, uh, my mother died very young from her addictions, and that was probably that example that prevented me from having my own children. Some women, I don't think, should have children, um, and I'm definitely one of them. My mother was one of them. She couldn't handle the responsibility of parenthood and left when I was just nine years old, left me with a, a little sister who was still in diapers at two so, uh, yeah, I, that abandonment stayed with me for a long time. And you'll often hear me talk about Dr. Gabor Maté, M-A-T-E. Dr. Maté is um, a British Columbia physician. He worked in Vancouver's East Side for 12 years, and he dealt with some of the most chronically addicted people in the world. And he said after that 12 years that he was convinced that there was a direct correlation to childhood trauma and addiction. So I know now that I'm what well, I'm in recovery now since 2009. I'm not sure if I would put it all on childhood trauma. Definitely there was an element of that with me. Um, I had enough childhood trauma for sure, but also I think the trauma can happen at any time. Because I talk to people in smart recovery and and in AA as well. A lot of um, first responders, right? That trauma comes with their profession and it comes pretty much every day. So we have a lot of first responders now suffering with PTSD, which is, uh, you know, the, again, the resources available for PTSD, very, very limited. So we have a lot of people suffering with PTSD coming to Smart Recovery meetings. So I don't think the trauma 
uh, that is linked to addiction necessarily has to come from childhood trauma. I think it can come at any time because there's no shortage of trauma in our lives as adults. So one of uh, the things that I'm doing here with this Red Roof Recovery Program is I'm doing audio and video. So excuse me when I have to take a little sip here because I'm full of anxiety and my mouth is very dry. Mm -hmm. ah, so thing is, when I'm interviewing people, right, I get that reprieve from people answering questions. So you, the camera goes off me or, and I can sneak a little drink. So bear with me. I appreciate your patience. So what is smart recovery all about? And I'll try to remain on topic because I'm so passionate about this topic of addiction recovery. I just, I'm, it's like shiny balls all over the room. Something bounces and my attention goes there. So bear with me. I'll try to stay on track. The purpose of self-management and recovery training, we are here to support individuals who have chosen to abstain or even considering abstinence from any type of addictive behavior, whether that's a substance or activity behavior. And the thing is, we're, we're helping you learn how to change self-defeating thinking, emotions, actions, and to work towards long-term satisfactions and a higher quality of life. So I talked about the first pillar of smart recovery. We need to develop and maintain our motivation to abstain. So if you're not even sure you have a problem, then that developing and, and maintaining a motivation to abstain may take a long time. So we have tools in smart recovery for you to ask yourself some deeper questions to figure out where you are. Maybe you're not ready for recovery. Maybe you're not ready for full abstinence. Maybe you want to try some controlled um, approach to weaning off. Um, so whatever is working for you, whatever works for you, whatever is going to re resonate with you, I think is where you want to pursue. SMART, as I said, is abstinence-oriented, but also supporting the use of medically prescribed treatment, MAT, medically-assisted treatment for addiction and other conditions. So the four-point four program, uh, one, developing and maintaining that motivation to abstain, and we have tools in SMART that can help you figure out where you are on that uh, stages of change, it's called. Handling urges is number two. So for me, accepting that once I made the choice to abstain from my addictions, and I tried to manage them for a long time because I didn't want to admit that I had a substance use disorder. Like, who wants to be labeled with that stigma? So, yeah, once I finally accepted to make the change and abstain, then I had to learn how to handle the urges that were going to come from that abstinence because my addiction had many, many, many years to develop. So it wasn't going to come without a lot of pain in the abstinence for sure. So I had to accept that. And groups like AA and SMART helped me do that because the peer support is huge. I learned from other people's experiences. The number three pillar of SMART recovery is uh, where we really have to dig deep on this one. Then we have to learn how to manage our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors around those addictive behaviors. And then number four, living a balanced and happy life, which is where we all want to get to. So some of the concepts, the philosophies around SMART and other cognitive-based therapies is that we humans have the capacity within ourselves to overcome even severe addictive behaviors, and we can lead meaningful lives. Hope, I think, is key around addiction recovery, because once we become hopeless, then, uh, you know, we can, we can 
be kind of circling around that vortex of depression and hopelessness. And if we work diligently to prevent ourselves from getting sucked in, and that sucked in is that total hopelessness, then there's always hope, which is why I love Smart Recovery and programs like AA, because they can teach us to keep to learn how to circle without falling into that vortex. And lifelong attendance of SMART recovery meetings, neither required or even encouraged. I mean, this is all about self-management, learning the tools of recovery. So it's all about tools, not schools. There's lots of schools of therapy. But when you instead look beyond the schools of therapy and just delve into the tools, because there are literally hundreds of tools that you can use. So if you've tried one or two or three or 30 there are hundreds that you can try. So we always encourage you to just keep looking until something resonates with you. You need to get that cognitive click, right? And then do more of that. Gaining independence from our addictive behaviors can involve changes that affect an individual's entire life, not just changes directly related to the addictive behavior itself. And we're all about promoting that self-empowerment. It does not require a belief in a higher power. It focuses on it focuses on the addictive behaviors, doesn't promote the use of labels like alcoholic and addict. That's one thing I was constantly challenged with in AA was having to sit around a table and say, hi, I'm Tanya and I'm an alcoholic and addict. It's like, oh, it felt so heavy and it just made me feel crappy about myself. And I know it works for a lot of people. I've had discussions with it and they say, no, I like that. It helps me. It keeps me motivated just like counting days can help people stay motivated. I, I'm not a day counter, right? I used to really hate having to, I called it the walk of shame, you know, if I had a lapse of judgment and, you know, had a few drinks or a few whatevers, and then have to go back and get that 24-hour chip at AA and walk that. Oh, it was just so horrible. So I don't like the, the labels. They don't work for me. I think labels belong on food. That's, that's where we should have them. Um, I am not my addiction. I am far more than an alcoholic and an addict. I am Tanya, and I'm suffering with substance use disorder. I'll tell you an interesting story. And I'm going to repeat myself a lot because I have just a few interesting stories. So this one is about, I may have uh, already told you about this, so bear with me if I have. It's about a group of clinicians working in an emergency room setting. And they have a patient. Now, this is a controlled outcome study, right? The clinicians don't know they're participating in the study. They are introduced to a patient brought in under an emergency scenario. So they are only introduced to this patient on a piece of paper. And the patient is introduced as being a substance abuser. And then the clinicians are um, surveyed later asking about what they thought about this substance abuser. And all of them collectively believed that this person was culpable for their behavior. They were totally responsible for where they were in life and that they even deserved criminal punishment. So fast forward a few days later, the same group of clinicians now introduced to the same patient, but now it's changed from a substance abuser to someone suffering with a substance use disorder, SUD. Thankfully, that's commonly referred to now in medical circles, but this, this study was done a few years ago. Substance use disorder sufferer. Now, when the clinicians are, are surveyed, collectively, it's just a total flip 
in their approach and belief to this patient. Now they believe that this person can be totally recovered with a mix of medication and therapy. Right? I know. It's like, wow, just by changing, I know it's only semantics, but our words are very, very powerful. So when we put those words on ourselves and others, those labels like alcoholic, addict, junkie, druggie, they're very harmful in so many ways. You'll be happy to know that individuals who have been successful in gaining independence from addictive behaviors appear to have made changes in all areas of SMART's four-point program. So again, number one, we have to develop and maintain our motivation to abstain from our addictive behaviors. Number two, then we learn how to handle the urges that are going to come with that abstinence. Number three, we learn how to manage our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And number four is where we all want to get to, and that's leading a healthy, balanced life. So cognitive behavioral therapy. I want to talk a little bit about cognitive therapy because this is my other Bible, Feeling Good by Dr. David Burns. And he talks about the three principles of cognitive therapy. Number one, our positive and negative feelings do not result from what is happening in our lives. Mm -mm. It's our thoughts about what is happening or what has happened in our lives. It's all about thought. That's what cognitive behavioral therapy is and why I love it so much. Because when we change the way we think, we can change the way we feel. Number two, depression and anxiety result from distorted, illogical, misleading thoughts. What you're telling yourself is often simply not true. And number three, when you change the way you think, you can change the way you feel. And this can usually happen quite rapidly and without drugs. The first idea goes back at least a couple of thousand years to the teachings of the Greek Stoic philosophers. And although the idea that our thoughts create all of our feelings is very basic and enlightening, many people still don't really get it. And this even includes a lot of therapists who wrongly believe that our feelings result from what's happening to us. So that's why I'm really a big advocate of the tools and not schools of therapy. I've talked to countless people who have said, oh, no, I've been to six thera therapists, and they're all the same, and it doesn't work. Well, let's try number seven, and eight, and nine, until you find one that clicks with you. You make a connection with somebody, and your recovery is going to kick into high gear. Absolutely. But you need to keep looking for someone who you can relate with. Some of the tools used at SMART meetings and I don't want you to get bogged down with a lot of the tools. And I'm going to um, depend on Clint, who is over behind the controls there, to let me know when my time is up, because I can talk about this for hours. <laughs> so the, some of the tools used at SMART meetings, um, the change plan worksheet. So I talked a little bit about that in the beginning of the show. Where am I in recovery? Am I even ready to accept that I have a problem that I want to, re to solve. The change plan worksheet, and I'm going to start creating PowerPoints for those of you who are watching the video version of the Red Roof Recovery Show, so you'll have some distraction from me from time to time. And the change plan worksheet is basically just a chart, and you're going to list your goals and how you will attain them, the ways you would overcome obstacles and challenges, the very process of completing a change plan worksheet, 
will clarify both your goals and the roadblocks to attaining them. So I jumped ahead, actually. First of all, you need to do the stages of change to figure out where you are, which stage you are. And then you're going to do a change plan worksheet, perhaps. You can also do a cost-benefit analysis. That was one of my favorite go-tos when I first started, and that's called a CBA, Cost-Benefit Analysis. Again, SMART loves their acronyms. And this tool is especially useful for increasing your motivation to abstain from your addictive substances or behaviors. And then we have something I haven't talked to you about is REBT, right, is another tool of therapy, Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy, and that's directing rational thought inwards. So the ABCs of REBT can be um, a very effective tool. I often do this on my weekly smart meetings. We do it in a group session and you get everybody brainstorming around an activating event. So it's we call it the ABCs of REBT. So you take the A is your activating event and you have to be specific, right? We can't, there's no magic paintbrush for all of the problems in our life. We need to really hone in on a specific thing that's really irritating and making us angry or sad or just full of anxiety. And once we get that specific activating event, then we can uh, look at the beliefs, the B. The A is the activating event. The B is the beliefs that are surrounding that activating event. And then we go to the C of the ABC What are the consequences of believing that about that activating event? And then we move deeper into our alphabet with the D, we start disputing the irrational belief, and the E is creating an effective new belief around that activating event. So I encourage you to check out a smart recovery meeting and don't dismiss it after just one or two or maybe even three. Go to several because if you go to the smartrecoverytoronto.com website, you can get a list of meetings there locally in the GTA. But also if you go to the American site, smartrecovery.org, you can get a list of the global meetings, all different time zones all over the world. Smart Recovery is now doing probably 800, close to 1,000 probably, Uh, meetings now on Zoom every week. So you can choose your time. You can try different ones. They even have a family and friends um, resource that you can check out with meetings as well. So I, I really do recommend that you look for those meetings, join a few, see what you think, and keep learning about cognitive behavioral therapy. Some other tools used at SMART meetings, you might hear disarm, destructive imagery, and self-talk awareness and refusal method. This tool exposes thoughts and images that can sometimes urge us to pursue our addiction as rationalizations and excuses. For me, the longer I abstain from my addictions, I find sometimes I can create a, a thought pattern around, I call it romantic recollection. Things weren't so bad, right? Oh, yes, I managed my career for 20 years while I was actively uh, using. So I'll be fine if I just have a glass of wine with dinner. (laughs) So once I recognize that irrational thought pattern, then I can do something. I can use one of the tools that's either offered from Smart Recovery, a lot of the stuff that's in the Feeling Good book from Dr. David Burns. He has an excellent website, uh, feelinggood.com, where you can tap into a lot of his podcasts. 
Thank you, Clint. We have five minutes left to the Red Roof Recovery Show. I told you I could talk for hours about this, and we only have five minutes left, and I have a whole bunch of paper around me, so we're not going to get through it. So I encourage you to go to smartrecoverytoronto.com and check out the more localized meetings that are going on. And then you can look at the tips and tools. They haven't uploaded all of the videos there, but a lot of them. So you can learn how Smart Recovery, uh, they put them into these little snippet videos, like four or five minutes. Perfect, perfect time. Short and containing a lot of information. So I just want to quickly touch upon things uh, like anxiety and worry that we are all consumed by at the moment. We have uh, skyrocketing suicide rates. And we have addiction rates that are also going through the roof. We're going to be fall, um, recovering from the fallout of this pandemic for many, many years, many generations. People I talk to right now, it's all about anxiety and worry about the future. We humans have this amazing ability to think about future events, right? We think ahead. That means we can anticipate problems. And that gives us an opportunity to plan solutions. Great. When it helps us achieve our goals, thinking ahead can be very helpful. For example, hand washing, physical distancing, very helpful things we can decide to do in order to prevent the spread of the virus. You may also choose to get a vaccine. However, worrying is a way of thinking ahead that often leaves us fearing, feeling fearful and very anxious. When we worry excessively, we can often think about worst case scenarios and feel that we won't be able to cope. And then that hopelessness starts seeping in, right? Worry can morph into a chain of thoughts and images which can sometimes progress in unlikely directions. It's natural that many of us may have recently noticed ourselves thinking about worst-case scenarios. It's easy to do in these days, right? Worries can escalate quickly, even from something relatively minor. Like, a, just think of a worry chain. So we're starting at one link and we think, oh, I have a headache. Do I have a fever? Oh, maybe it's coronavirus. And then the next link, maybe I passed it on to everyone at work today. Oh, everyone will pass it on and we'll die. Imagining this whole apocalypse, right, of losing everyone that we know and love. It just goes on and on and on. That chain of worry can just strangle us after time, right? What's really important as we come to a close on this episode of Red Roof Recovery, setting a routine. It's so important that we stay focused on our routines if we're spending more time at home, we do our best to continue with a regular routine. And that means waking up and going to bed at the same time, eating at regular times, and getting ready and dressed every day. I know even sometimes I don't even want to take a shower and get out of bed in the day. It takes a great deal of effort. Stay mentally and physically active. When we plan our daily timetable, we can have activities to keep both our mind and body active. We could try learning something new in an online course, although I think we're all overdosing on online stuff. We can challenge ourselves to learn a new language, maybe. I don't know. I lived in Spain for six years, still can't speak Spanish, but it's worth a shot. <laughs> Practicing gratitude. At times of uncertainty, developing a gratitude practice can help you connect with moments of joy and pleasure. It works uh, miracles for me. Notice and limit worry triggers. As health situations develop, it can feel like we need to constantly follow the news or check social media for updates. Ugh, oh, not a good idea. I think everything we need to know, we're going to hear about it from someone who loves us, so we don't need to be immersing ourselves in stuff like that. I often encourage people to take the diet that really works, a media fast. Don't watch, read, or listen to news and feel how much your life improves. 
I'm Tanya McIntyre. Thanks so much for hanging out with me for this 30 minutes of the Red Roof Recovery Show. And feel free to drop me an email, redroofrecovery at gmail.com if you have any questions. Want to be a guest on the show? Yay. Yes, I'd love that. Give me time to have a sip of my tea. Okay. Remember, you want to stay positive, stay focused, put your attention, energy, and focus on what you want. Try not to get bogged down on what's going on. And may the force be with you. Remember, you are the force.